Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. This is your host, Bart Carroll, along with Shelley Mazenoble and Greg Tito. In today's episode on the digital side, Rob Overmeyer of Cryptic Studios returns to discuss the Strongholds update for the Neverwinter MMO. But first, Greg Tito has been a part of the past several podcasts, and we thought it would be a good time to turn the tables on to you and give you to you and give Surprise. you a chance to introduce yourself to our listeners and what it is you're exactly doing here sitting at our podcast table. We're well, assuming you've passed your 90-day review, so we can we can actually oh, yeah. become emotionally invested in you now. Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh, like, no, well, I didn't even know. Oh, man, has All it right. not been 90 days already? I guess not. Oh. So for folks that aren't aware, Greg Tito has joined the Dungeons & Dragons brand team, and what would your official title here be? I am communications manager. All right. Actually, the official title is weird. It's like manager, comma, communications, but... As communications manager, I was like, that's a horrible way to communicate. Yeah, you need to what my role be your is. first order of business. So I changed that, and uh, that's why I'm going to be at fired at day 89. Oh, man. I'm <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Ryan, you're going to have a lot of editing to do. <laughs> well, Shelly's been part of Wizards of the Coast for 14 Hey. You never years. ask a girl how long she's <laughs> been at her tenure. company. How long have you been here? Since you've I been here a long time. You look like you've been here a long oh, time. Oh, man. Right yeah. out of junior high. Right out um, of junior high started, yeah. <laughs> uh, the reason I ask is, were you years. here when they used to have sort of non-intuitive job titles? They were like nonsensical job titles, I guess, at, at one point in time. Like what? Director of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we've sort of more formalized what people's job functions actually there are. There was a lot of... Vagueness. Yeah. There was a, at one point when I started, it was right around the Pokemon boom. Mm -hmm. There were so many people in this company. Pokemon trainer was an actual job title. <laughs> yes. So we've already shifted actual... away from Greg. Too. Oh yeah. Oh man, that's good though. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so you don't of, like the comma in your job title. I didn't like the comma, so I I, I got it right out. Oh, wow. Uh, and, uh, and poor Chris Dupuy cannot get rid of his capital. He doesn't like B the extra. Capitalized. And you need to talk to him about how to actually affect change around here. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you, I I just did it. That's the thing. You know, you just put it in your email signature, and then all of a sudden, people know. As the communications manager. Right. Exactly. I actually, my first like week here, I misspelled communications in my email signature. No. Yeah. I think I've told this story before, but John File, another member of the team, came up to me once and said, I think your name is misspelled on your <laughs> oh, no. You like, typoed your own name? I typoed my own how did, name. What, how amazing. did you spell it? I have, there's two R's and two L's in Carol, and I had like an extra L in there that I just... Mm -hmm. didn't so it was Carol. Carol. <laughs> wow. Well, at least he reads your proud, Yeah, there's a proud moments of my career here. I so. was proud. So welcome to the d and I, I was proud that I was able to, you know, find that typo on my own. <laughs> you had to have someone else. So that's a so, big <laughs> black mark on speaking, Bart Carroll. Speaking of commas, here's, here's the first. I have. That's a Good early, segue. Yeah, Good segue. It's a real question. I loved it. Are you alarmed by how bad my grammar is? <laughs> I mean, have we you have ever had met an adult that does not understand grammar the way I do? Uh, yeah, many, I don't. in fact. Yes. No, you're not alone. Uh, and I don't, I mean, I, I have been working with words for a long time, but there's still things that I, I, I'm, I'm 
grasping and learning and, you know, have to look up and stuff. So that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, there are some things that I've caught. I, this is what I found with other editors and people who have worked with, with things like they have pet peeves that stop them no matter what. So, like, and I feel like those are go-to notes. So, so if you don't have any notes on, on something, you can be like, well, you can change oh, yeah. this because the comma is in the wrong place. Because an editor and then it feels just like you, can't say it's okay. Right, right. And have you ever heard this this game design uh, uh, thing? Uh, it's, this, it's a cool story. It's called The Duck. And so, so people who are making video games will often uh, uh, say, oh, that was just a duck. And I'm like, what does that even mean? And apparently it came from uh, Battle Chest. Do you remember that game from the 80s? Uh, I remember Archon, which was kind of like, similar. Hey, the pieces are going to not yeah. just replace each other, but punch each other in the face. Right. So Battle Chess was two opposing, it was basically the same rules as chess, but when the pieces met, mm -hmm. uh, there'd be an animation and they would fight each yeah, other that, and that die. Yeah, that was very much like Archon. Right, exactly. But then uh, uh, one of them was a, uh, uh, I forget, I think it was a bishop animation that had a bird flying around it, and the animator who had done it uh, uh, made sure it didn't clip into any other part of the animation, uh, and otherwise, it was a wonderful animation when the bishop took the knight or something like that. Everything, everything looked amazing. And but he knew that his supervisor uh, never just gave an okay on anything. Always had to give at least one note. So he built in this duck. So the supervisor would be like, "I love it. It's great. Just get rid of the duck." And the guy was like, "Yep, done oh. it." And then so he was able to. It was a way to expedite oh. things and get things faster. Nice. You know. So I feel like editors are sometimes like that too, where they're like, you know, they can't just be like, "Yep, I love it. That's great." They have to give like one or two, you know, grammatical things, which people You'll just have it in their toolbox. Have I know. Our, You'll never have any ducks with me. No ducks. No, they're no. all legit. No, and I'm I know our design side works on that as well. <laughs> when they do concepts for various things, they'll put in ducks. They'll put in ducks to be like, they'll hey, make, that'll be the one thing you just get out. They'll yeah. make the logo too small intentionally or something like that. Right. <laughs> so they can so hear funny. some feedback. Yeah. I think that, I mean, it's weird psychological, uh, psychological thing where like people have to have uh, 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 feel like the man, they're, they're making their manager role feel more important right. by... by but but I can also see where it would feel weird for a manager just to be like, uh, yep, it's perfect. I wouldn't change yeah, a thing. Yeah, you don't feel like you're managing if you're not actually. Yeah. Next time, managing. just don't even pass it to me. Pass it to the guy ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not because your work here. is that good, right? <laughs> I guess that's the worry, right? That yeah. you just get cut out. No, no middleman necessary. So let's ask the question we always ask all of our guests. How yeah. you, you obviously work on the D and D team now? Gladly. And uh, with, with, with great excitement. Making <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> lovingly. Lovingly. What drew you to Dungeons & Dragons? How did you get your start in the hobby? I uh, was a kid, and I have older siblings, so I'm mm -hmm. uh, the baby of the family, and my siblings are seven, eight, nine years older than me. And I, my older brothers shared a room, and they had Dungeons and Dragons books on their shelves. And I don't remember how old I was, maybe it was like five or six, just really learning how to read. And uh, I discovered the Dungeon Master's Guide and pulled it down and was like, what is this? This is amazing. And my brother, my other brother, had recently shown me The Hobbit, the animated Hobbit by Rankin and Bass yeah. with the singing dwarves and everything. And he was reading uh, The Hobbit along with it, and he was telling me things uh, that was not in the cartoon, and I was fascinated with that. Like, what? They that left things out? Good older brother. Yeah. And so, so did you find out he was making too. stuff up? Like, oh, and the, you, they cut out the scene where Frodo freaks out, <laughs> kills half the dwarves. <laughs> no, well, he, he'd only read to chapter five, so he was telling me things up to chapter five, and then I 
I was was at a young age reading it and being like, and I was telling him things that were happening like soon after, and he's like, oh, I didn't get that far. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a good older brother up to a point. And you were a good younger and brother. And they, they never, to my knowledge, they never played Dungeons and Dragons. They had had, because it was the early 80s, and that was kind of like That's the, the, the hip thing to do. <laughs> when the aunt was, walks into the toy store and goes, I have, is he going to give for a 12-year-old? What do I give him? And they hand you the, the red box. That's, exactly, yeah. yeah. When you said ant, for some reason, I thought you meant an actual <laughs> anthropomorphic Fire ant, like, a, like an insect. Yes. I thought there was like some Wait, fable you were that, telling that's me. That's what I meant. They, <laughs> they play Dungeons and Dragons too, Greg. They, they, they're very creative, those ants. What else, what else the are they doing? The old ant in the toy store analogy. So I remember reading... <laughs> Reading the Dungeon Master's Guide, just being fantas- uh, you know, uh, uh, entranced, fascinated, entranced, and and uh, wanting to learn more. And I went into the, the the public libraries and was reading the Monster Manual, and of course, uh, uh, wanting to start playing. But I didn't know anybody that I didn't know how to organize it or or do anything like that. And then. You know, once the hipness of D and D in the early '80s happened, then it transitioned to the 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 uh, kind of religious uh, thing. And my mother was uh, hardcore Catholic and kind of was like, "Oh wait, this is bad. We shouldn't have things that have demons on the cover uh, in our house anymore." So then it became, anymore. unbeknownst to her, <laughs> anymore. <laughs> you know, never never mind the Bible. <laughs> um, <laughs> But then it became, oddly enough, it had more cachet for me because I was like, oh, this is yeah. like forbidden fruit. So yeah. uh, uh, I, I loved it even more. And I joined a few groups as I was growing up uh, uh, in high school. And, and my friends just didn't have the uh, uh, right proclivities to, to really love the game. I tried running uh, actually a Middle Earth role-playing game at one point. Um, and uh, it wasn't until I uh, moved to New York City after college and uh, I'd gotten married. And I was like, oh, wait. I I want to I can I want to play D and D and I can now. This is not hard. So adult. I found a, a, a group of people um, uh, through a uh, kind of like a find like a uh, it was a called a, or, uh, yeah it was like nerdnyc.com, oh. uh, which was a forum uh, uh, essentially for finding games and talking about role playing games and stuff like that. So we met at a restaurant and then we had this really great tight knit group and we played through the Age of Worms campaign uh, back. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the aughts there, um, and it got into 3.5 and kind of ran off from there, started creating content. A lot of the people that were in that group um, were also creators, so I, I learned, like, oh, I can actually write for this, and then, I, you know, I proposed some, some stuff. I think I was in one Dragon Magazine article oh, in, like, cool. 2005 and 2006. Um, and then uh, jumped to uh, The Escapist, which I think uh, uh, is an online magazine that deals with nerd culture and stuff like that. And I think the, the one reason why I got hired there was because I had written uh, some, some D&D material and had D&D cred on my right. resume. And they're like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> uh, so that, that gave me the A-OK. And I shifted to do more digital stuff. Always still loved D&D uh, and uh, played in a, a, a weekly and, and bi-weekly games as much as possible going forward. And then came to Seattle and loved it here. So now you're behind the curtain is the uh, the yeah. offices of Wizards of the Coast. Know. What's what's the what impression you like now? it was going to be like. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally <laughs> different uh, and well, amazing at the same time. You did make a big move, though, to come here. You came all the way across the country, packed up the family. That's right. Yeah. That was tough. That is, that's hard to do. Yeah. And uh, I, it was funny. I kind of equated it to an adventure. It was very much like... Yes. All right, gotta do all these things and you know, uh, uh, and go to the unknown and see what happens. Crossing crazy terrain. I drove across the country, which was 
really interesting. I'd never done, I'd, I'd driven across the northern part of the country before in my youth, but I was driving across the southern uh, uh, states. So I was going through uh, like Texas and Arizona and New Mexico. That's a crazy D&D landscape yeah. in, our in our country. It's crazy. Yeah, like just burning deserts. The deserts in Arizona are way different than the deserts in North New Mexico. In New Mexico, they're like uh, orangish. Yes. And in Arizona, they're more yellower. There's a lot more blue uh, meth rocks in Arizona. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was thinking Breaking Bad. Yeah. Yeah, I know what New Mexico looks like. (laughs) Exactly. Everybody, that's like their one catch. They're like, we're famous because we have drugs. I'm still catching up on that now. (laughs) Spoiler. The the coolest part. Things don't go well. (laughs) Was in California. I never uh, uh, seen a landscape like some of the valleys I went through in California. We we deviated from the major highways at one point and went to the coast. And there were these rolling hills of wildflowers. One was like the orange hill and then behind that was the red hill of flower and it, it was it, the whole everything around it smelled like it was in the Feywild. it was amazing wow. <laughs> yeah totally otherworldly and they were growing almonds there was the almond farms everywhere really yeah and so, I, so if you could have one magic item that would have made that trip more <laughs> tolerable an airplane what, what would it, well <laughs> I, I was thinking more of a D&D a tensor floating <laughs> tensor floating disc <laughs> Uh, oddly enough, I actually felt like I did have a magic item, and then I had my phone with me, and yeah. we were like streaming audio like the entire time we were there. It was kind of amazing, yeah. Uh, but no, I, as far as the, uh, bag of holding, uh, so I didn't have to pack up all my stuff every yeah. single time. Oh, that would be nice. Actually. Yeah, I'm trying to think when I drove across the country from Chicago, it was with folded maps and. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was awesome to say. Back well, in my a completely day. different experience <laughs> I'd go to now. The AAA store. <laughs> yeah, get the triptychs. And get the triptychs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's totally. We didn't open a map once. We had Google Maps, and uh, I was driving with my buddy, and he'd be like, "All right, we will. Let's go find the restaurant we're going to go do for lunch," and it took us right there, and uh, uh, no hassle at all. It definitely felt like we were in the future, I, even though everybody does that every day now. When my kid is doing it, it's either going to be baked right into the windshield, or it doesn't even have to <laughs> go onto his, his phone, or the car is just going to drive on its own. His no, he's just going to be like, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> I, I, I can get to McDonald's, Dad. And then he's going to be yelling at us because we don't know how to... You don't know how to teleport? Oh, oh idiots. Oh. God, you don't know how to program the VCR. <laughs> <laughs> VCRs are coming back in Greg's future. Yeah, a big, big way. You know, but yeah. it's it, it's fair as fair. I, I I bemoan my parents trying to figure out Skype every week. Like, come on, you do this every week. Right. There will be something that we have no idea oh, yeah. what to do. Well, there already is. Uh, you might have heard me say this earlier, but yesterday, Quinn, our two-year-old, was going like this. <laughs> and so, and he was looking at me like, "Do it, mommy." So I would go. And then he goes, no, mommy. And so I'd say, okay, I'm like doing it exactly like him. And he just was going, no, mommy. It's like, all right, it's starting already. It's a like, thing. The kid already thinks I'm dumb. He's <laughs> like, you, you don't know the language? He, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I could, he was so frustrated, he actually gave me the hand. No. Nope. And then he was just like, I don't even want to play anymore. You uh, ruined it. You have to have a pacifier in your mouth when you're making well, the that's, exact pronunciation. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> you open your mouth up, let it, let the pacifier yep. in. Yeah. yeah. 
Not. Crazy. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very excited about about, about uh, being here for 89 days. That's that's as long wow. as I'll be here. God, it's going to be so bittersweet. Um, I, I'd come to visit, actually, uh, for The Escapist uh, about three years ago. It was you right came when, here? Yeah, when you guys were uh, 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 oh, debuting 5th edition. That's right, uh, when we had and the, the play test. Group. You were one of those people? I was one of those people, oh, yeah. Is that where I met you? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, that's where we met. And then we did a panel uh, yeah. also at PAX, yeah. which was, I don't I forget the timeline, which came first. but I think the... I don't know. I don't know. Well, I remember was... seeing and walking around the office, and I and I was when I was a guest, it seemed like this crazy otherworldly place. And I guess actually my first year, oh. few weeks, it felt like that too. Mm-hmm. But then now it's like, no, it's oh, like, ho hum! I'm walking by the the, the statues coffee, right? and the middle, oh, there's a dragon. Oh, everybody has a dragon. <laughs> yeah. Was I nice to you? I hope. You were see, I mean, at the time, nice I didn't me. think I would ever be working. But with there you. was this guy <laughs> who was a real jerk. It was Bart Carroll. Oh, that guy's, that guy's a prick. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw him, and I was just walking just like through the office while mad. you were showing me around, and he threw a tomato at me. Yeah, that's so him. Puts on a fake nice voice for the podcast. Right, but uh, he's, what a jerk. he's demonic. Now I'm getting mad all over again. <laughs> okay, so more about um, you, Tito. Hey. You've got some nicknames. Tito Las Vegas. Tito Las Vegas is his name, yeah. What else? Any uh, other nicknames? I, I Tito GT? Santana. D- Laura. Uh, Laura Tomovic calls me GT. GT. Yeah. I like Tito Santana. Just because I, I like the actual Tito Santana. He's That's he's a, a pretty good, good wrestler. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't I was never into wrestling, but I do oh, now I don't care for you at all. <laughs> there comes the demonic voice <laughs> back. Another tomato. Yeah. <laughs> You do if I, I I know about Tito Santana intimately because of my, the Google results when you look at Greg Tito. Uh there's there's a few that mention my name, but then there's uh, ultimately uh, eBay sellers selling matches between Tito Santana and Greg Valentine. Oh uh, no! Yeah, which I guess there was a WrestleMania or two in yes. which they fought. Greg the Hammer Valentine. Oh, very tough contender. You guys can call me the Hammer now if you want. Okay. <laughs> well, it's like George Costanza. You don't get the cool no, nickname. You, you, got, you have to have sort of the weird, you don't get awful. To just give yourself a nickname. <laughs> Guys, like guys you can Tito, call me Tito. Hammer. Just call me Hammer. Oh, nothing nothing hammer. weird about that. Greg Co- the Hammer. Greg Tito. Coco. Time to, <laughs> time to update your signature again. That's it. Just put it in there. And people would just be like, oh, who's this Hammer? Okay. Oh, yeah, I yeah. guess he likes to be called Hammer now. Okay. okay. That's cool. So apropos of nothing, let's see if you can play any of the following instruments. <laughs> yes okay. or no? Guitar? No. Piano? No. Violin? No. Dobro? What's that? Hurdy-gurdy? Yes. Mandolin? All right. Saxophone? Only while drunk. Theremin? Only while naked. This may or may not come up in a future podcast. <laughs> oh, I know exactly where you were for, going with that. Those for an entirely different guest. Okay. <laughs> okay. Other than musical theater Thursday, <laughs> what else do you feel you have contributed to our team? <laughs> musical theater Thursday, I'm super proud of. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's uh, it, that is something for those of you who uh, are not within not the five feet attention. of our office. Uh, is when we uh, only converse in uh, musical theater lines. But actually, it's not musical theater. It's really just hair. Yeah, that's, the musical hair. That's the only yeah. musical I really know. And it really only begins with you know singing "Good Morning Starshine." Yeah, and then we kind of let it go. And then maybe do like a. Dawning of the Age of Aquarius, and that's about it. The best of intentions. And yeah. we were excited to hear that you, as as a as parent of a two year old, you actually once met Mr. Noodle from 
Elmo's oh, World. Yeah. That's right. I actually worked with uh, Bill Irwin. Uh, uh, yeah, and so uh, I, I skipped over that part, but in, in, in my history in New York City, I was a stage manager uh, uh, for professional off-Broadway theater. Uh, and uh, one of the people I worked with was Bill Irwin for his season at the Signature Theater, which is a theater on the west side that uh, picks a specific playwright and does a season of plays with that person. And they picked Bill Irwin, who... But he's a playwright? He is a playwright. Oh uh, but he, he's he got a crazy history where he's an actor. He's done clowning. He has, like, an entire clown show that he's done. Um, but he's also uh, written uh, stuff. And the, the show that I worked on was called The Harlequin Studies, which was... Kind of a play structure that was all about um, uh, Commedia dell'arte uh, classic characters, and he was talking about Har- Harlequin, which was the kind of clowning, lovable idiot character uh, that is actually very that's similar Mr. to Noodle. Mr. Noodle. Yes. Yeah, so that's why when I see Mr. Noodle, who those of you who don't have two-year-olds, uh, is uh, in Elmo's world, the segment of uh, Sesame Street where Elmo gets to have his, like, you know, he asks a question. Tell me, how do you raise a hand, Mr. Noodle? And Mr. Noodle pantomimes incorrectly for yes. the first eighty-five. And everybody of it. yells at him. Everybody yells Children at Mr. Children are Noodle. just screaming. No, Mr. Noodle. Kind of like how I was being screamed. That's at. right. And well, Bill Irwin is a, is a, he's he's really really uh, uh, great at making things people laugh like with very little movement or like he's got that clowning thing down. Like you know, before I, I had worked with him, I never really thought of clowns as a art form, really. Like, it was just kind of like, oh, they have them in circuses, isn't that funny? But no, he uh, has it it, uh, very finely tuned, and a lot of it had to do with props and being handed things, so that was actually my job. Uh, One of his bits is he's got a a chest. It's very D&D-like. It's got a chest uh, with an open back, uh, and he would go into it and take out funny things and blah, 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 and do things, but I was the guy that was was handing him things. You were like a and, mimic. You know, and then he would jump in yes. and he would do everything. <laughs> you were. Yes, exactly. You punched him in the I face. I was like one a mimic, right, days. exactly. <laughs> but kind of a nice one. A helpful, yeah. a helpful mimic. There's not a lot of helpful mimics. No. Another person that I worked with was uh, Peter Dinklage. Really? Well, yes. Right before he, uh, right, right after he had done The Station Agent, which mm-hmm. was his, his kind of big debut, that independent movie. Uh, where he played a, uh, a character that was in love with trains, but he was he was going to be Toulouse Lautrec in a uh, thing that uh, uh, Martha Clark was doing at the uh, Lincoln Center. So I was at Lincoln Center, Whoa. which was the first time I'd been to anywhere that cool, down in the basement of Lincoln Center, <laughs> uh, and we and we had a series of uh, workshops with Peter Dinklage, uh, and so this is you know, obviously very pre Game of Thrones, but oh. when Game of Thrones was being talked about and. Uh, 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 they were. You know, it was even in like the gestational stage, and not really knowing who was going to play what. I remember being like, "Oh, he'd be the perfect person for it because he is Tyrion Lannister. He's got that that character. He's, he remains my favorite character on that show. He and oh yeah, yes, definitely. Me too. Well, I would say on that note, while we have deviated somewhat from Dungeons and Dragons, oh, we had, but we all. got to know Greg Tito. We yeah. wanted to get to know Greg Tito, a new member of the Dungeons and Dragons team. Do you want to know about my favorite character that I ever played? Yes. Mm, and no. then I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> then I want to know who is your favorite person on the D&D brand team? <laughs> she said with a demonic smile on her face, uh, it is Trevor. Oh, man. Just kidding. Just make sure we tell him that. Trevor's uh, nice. So, no, this, this, this character I played uh, was called Todd Hedron. Uh, and he was a half elf uh, who was very. Um, uh, 
uh, kind of similar to Peter Dinklage was 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 downtrodden and and not really accepted by the the human uh, people that mm -hmm. he lived with, um, and he had a uh, uh, a mother, a human mother who was a uh, lady of the night, essentially, and an elf. But he never knew what his who his elven uh, parentage was, and so over the course, this was like a twenty two level campaign. Uh, meeting each week for for three or four years at this point like you know he had met his 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 uh sire and 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 had a, f a falling out with his mother and then a rekindling and then, and then she ended up dying and passing away in a really dramatic way and so it was the first character that i played that felt like had a complete like arc that's an interesting campaign he must have been in because no character i've ever played has had sort of that level of family mm -mm. history incorporated into the game. Yeah. You know, they always seem to be sort of orphans of the world and they're off on their own now and they're making their own way. So was this, your dungeon master just decided to take your character's history and kind of roll it up into what else was going on? Yeah, he, he was actually, and it, and it was actually the Age of Worms campaign, which mm -hmm. none of that was was obviously part of that campaign. It was, <laughs> it was a published thing. He just kind of right. latched onto a few biographical details that I had uh, uh, come up with. Um, and over time it spun them into these, these this great epic story. Um, and what, was he using the, the same kind of approach for the other characters as well? Not as much. I think for some reason he had had like he he, he got what I was what is what I was trying to do, yeah. and uh, it worked. You know, other people obviously had had characters and arcs and things like that. But right. and and maybe I was being myopic at the point where I was only really thinking about the arc that I was having. Yeah. Um, but uh, we all had, we, we would. This is the kind of group where we would spend hours uh, of playtime at a at a party or at a, a, a an event. And there'd be no rolling and no fighting going on. We would just all be mm. within the character. And um, when it started out, this was like kind of the first long-term kind of thing. So my character was pretty quiet because I actually was new to the idea of role-playing and everything like that. So I was like, oh, let me kind of build that into the character so it doesn't feel like I'm being artificial. This is actually just you know, how I am. And so I think the dungeon master kind of watched onto that as well and was like, okay, well, if this is how I will... You know, hatch the, a real role player, and, and you know, be and then you know, from there, I was able to do a lot more crazier characters and people who were uh, 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 a lot more different and and bombastic, and you know, or you know, run the whole gamut. Mm. Yeah, tons of fun. Good advice for other dungeon masters nice. as well. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Mr. Tito, and you will be, of course, staying with the podcast for our next segment where we talk to Rob Overmeyer. That's right. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks for talking <laughs> to us. <laughs> Oh, it's still no. you, but your voice is like all modulated know, and weird. Sound like you? Does it, does it sound strange? It does, like you're a robot. I wish I was a robot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so mournful. Yeah, I have to interview a robot. I wish I were a robot. All right. I'm adding a Rob right now. Okay. Ask him what his allergies are. Okay. Yeah. I'm allergic to avocado, which is oh, very sad. Oh, that is so sad. I'm gonna get you some guac for your birthday. Tito. <laughs> Tito. What? You're a you're robot. You're getting free guac. Free guac. Must I, stop. 
So we have uh, Rob on the line. Uh, yes, I am allergic to guacamole. It's sad. That's Actually, awful. I'm allergic to avocados. So that is that is very like, sad. What what happens to you when you eat an avocado? So uh, I like to live dangerously and still eat a lot of guacamole. No. Uh, but there's like a, a threshold, right? So you go like all the way up to the wall, and then you don't go past the wall. So uh, if I do go past the wall, my tongue starts to swell up and I can't breathe. Oh, uh, oh wow. Parking. Which is a major function in like living, right? So, right. Yeah. so why even go up to the wall? <laughs> Dude, because it was guacamole there. Guacamole is so good. It's, it's pretty over there. Why bungee jump or mountain climb, Bart? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> so, Rob, you are here, right? Yeah, man, I'm here. Oh, oh hey, Rob. All right, now, we, Rob, Rob, you're coming in very clear. Yes, you're not the no, robot, the robot voice that, robot uh, that Alex. Alex has. <laughs> I'm actually going to mute myself so you guys can like. Take oh, the don't! This has been <laughs> so I'm, interesting. I'm <laughs> Rob, I guarantee one of these people will ask you about avocados now. <laughs> That's totally great. Um, <laughs> do you know, like, do you know how to make sure that your avocado tree grows into a bush rather than a stalk? No. Yes. How? Yeah, so you have to you have to keep trimming the end so that that it actually branches out, and each one of those little branches then needs to be trimmed again. So it, otherwise, it just grows into a straight line, straight up. Really weird. Like a so avocado like trees are like handcrafted and created. It's really it's cool. Like bonsai trees. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, like it'll they'll just grow up in a single stalk, and like the avocados would be super heavy and just make the whole thing fall. Over. Like, and the avocado tree stem is actually pretty thin, maybe like two inches or something. Interesting uh, diameter. And so what they do is you basically you cut the end and you, you snip it and just leave like two leaves at the top and each of those grow out into a new branch and then you and then it starts growing up again you snip it again and those two grow out into new branches. What? Yeah. I was told How to do, do that this? to my kids hands too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What, what, what's been the success so far? <laughs> it's not growing back yet, but I'm told he's going to have like four arms gonna and he's going to be awesome. Oh, man. He's going to be in a super starring role super in the next cool. Mortal Kombat game. <laughs> so, That's going to be amazing. So, <laughs> Ron, are we recording? You... <laughs> I okay, hope good. we have that. I'm glad the avocado for God, tree. For God's sake, so let's cut all of that. No, no. This is really interesting. How do you know so much about avocado trees? Oh, my five year old told me. Ah. <laughs> Good well, stuff. then it must be true. So I was going to do a, a very She learned short... about avocados in school, and she was she came home telling me, they're not a vegetable. And I was like, I know, babe. <laughs> they're Did not? You know? No. What are they, fruit? Yeah. yeah, it's a seed in there. What do you like know? Like a tomato. What is, seriously. I don't know. Well, it's got a nut in there. <laughs> no. Yeah. Is a peach a fruit? Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. All right. It's the same thing. But like you a walnut. A in a, yeah. That's true. Well, nut, nuts are education. fruits too, aren't they? Freestone free avocados. That's what somebody needs to create. Ooh. Ooh. I wanted to right. invent, I've told everyone this a thousand times, <laughs> tattoo ink that your body reabsorbs like after five years or so. What did that have to do with avocados? <laughs> Nothing. Why just just, talking about just inventions. cool stuff that we're inventing. <laughs> so, but if you had, once, had those cool tattoos, you could eat like a lot of guac and look really badass. Yeah. Right. Well, especially if you were Alex and you had an enormous swollen tongue <laughs> while you—that's pretty badass. A pierced, a pierced swollen tongue. <laughs> yeah. That would re the metal would reabsorb after five I, years. I once stabbed the palm of my hand trying to get the seed out of an avocado. 
That's so crazy. A lot of people have had this injury, actually. I know at least three. I thought you were going to say when you were trying to pierce your own tongue. <laughs> no. <laughs> nothing bad happened when I d- tried to do that. <laughs> yeah, nothing weird about that. No. Uh, okay. Anyway. Are we ready? Ready. Rob Overmeyer serves as executive producer for Neverwinter. Today, he joins the podcast to tell us about Neverwinter Strongholds. This seventh expansion of the game, announced for the summer, will see players join with their guild to claim an abandoned keep from the wild and build it back into its former glory on the largest map in Neverwinter. So welcome back to the podcast, Rob, and let's talk storming the castle. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem. It's good to have you. Um, so, uh, well, first of all, before we get into uh, the fun of Strongholds, which I'm, I'm super excited about, um, tell us a little bit about your uh, experience with, with D&D. I know we might have covered this on previous podcasts, but, you know, there's always new literature listeners that want to know about, you know, how you started playing Dungeons and & Dragons and, you know, uh, uh, and what it means to you. So, um, my, my experience is, is not as vast as, as a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, of my fans and the fans of the game. Um, I st- my first experience was uh, with D and D was hanging out at a friend's house, um, and uh, um, his friend, uh, both of them were pretty big into computers, pretty big into fantasy and D and D, and uh, they were roommates. Uh, I was friends with them both. One was really into modding PCs, and the other was really into D and D. So Saturday combo. nights were yeah, it was great. So Saturday nights were like arguments about 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 A and D versus Intel. Um, and then, like right across the living room, was a table getting set up and a bunch of people running uh, running campaigns and having a good time there. Um, so it all looked really interesting. And so I, I first got into it, um, painting minis and and getting into the hobby aspect of it. Uh, and then just sort of like picking up the story and the lore and then watching games. I didn't actually play D anD D for quite quite some time until some other friends of mine in the industry uh, started up a gaming night. So it had been. I, I got exposed to it. I got really into the into the hobby aspect of, of painting minis, uh, and so actually I did that for a lot of my friends, and they paid me quite well actually. Ooh, nice. uh, so That's they cool. would like they'd go they go buy all of the uh, all the figs, and then I guess I'd buy my own paint, uh, and then I'd paint them up and then hand, hand them over. So, um, but years years went by, and then uh, just friends in the industry were you know starting up D and D nights, and I'd play with them. D and D minis was really big. At the time, so we'd play those as well. Um, what was it then, about uh, the the miniatures, though? I'm, I'm really fascinated by that. Like, what was it about painting miniatures that that appealed to you? He said he was into modding PCs. I guess uh, it's the same. So I had like a, I had an art, a, sort of an art uh, background, and my um, was really into art, really into music at the time, uh, and even that was what I was uh, going for in college. Um, I was really excited about being an ethnomusicologist and traveling the world. What? Listening to uh, to music forms all all around the world, recording them and trying to preserve them, um, and that exposed me to a lot a lot of artists and a lot of uh, people that uh, that were really creative. Um, so it was a it was about really about creativity. Um, and to be honest, I think a bunch of my friends were lazy and they just wanted to use unpainted <laughs> figs, and I was like, that's ridiculous. Um, I wish I had a friend like you. <laughs> right. Oh, I, I even did it at cryptic. I had. It was so it was so funny. I got into it enough where like I'd get back from lunch and there'd be a box of minis just on my desk. Um, years and years ago when I started at Cryptic because they, they they found out somehow that that I was into painting. So I, I'd be like, okay, and then often I'd spend my lunches uh, uh, basing and, and uh, um, priming figs 
outside and, and then, you know, going through breaks and painting them and taking them home. Um, so, that was a common occurrence, a, a box of figs and a $20 bill. Oh, nice. We, awesome. we have some friends that are into Warhammer, and I think the rules of that game specify they actually have to be painted for you to be able to play with them. I could be wrong on that, but that's a I, I think, pretty good yeah, way to paint. <laughs> in all of the games that we were playing, uh, that I played with, with friends throughout the years and then friends in the industry and then definitely Cryptic because we have a huge gaming culture, um, both tabletop, uh, um, uh, Warhammer, and then definitely uh, uh, D&D campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, yeah, there's weird rules about Warhammer. Um, but I think about, like, D&D minis were really big because then people didn't have to paint anymore, and that kind of put me out of business. Oh, uh, but no. But it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then now we just, uh, we run, uh, we, we have several campaign groups. Uh, a couple people run Friday and Saturday night campaigns, and then we have, um, I'm in a, a, a Tuesday starter group um, with the new stuff, and we're actually running through Tyranny right now. Oh, um, fun. So uh, I'm, I'm getting back into it. So I, I, my exposure to it has been uh, throughout my, basically my whole sort of teenage through adult life, um, really into sort of the artistic aspect of it. Loved the stories um, and, uh, and absolutely thrilled to sort of continue doing all that uh, super nerdy and fun stuff uh, uh, with Neverwinter at Cryptic. Nice, nice. So I've so never, that's my background. It's, <laughs> your background is very interesting because I've never actually heard the term. Did you call ethnomusicologist? What was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually. So, so I was, uh, yeah, I wanted to major in, uh, in uh, like anthropology, cultural anthropology, mm-hmm. and sociology. And I really loved music. Um, big fan of music, part of music growing up, um, musical family, and, uh, and just um, and and love music from around the world, uh, from different tribal mu- musics to oral tradition sung. Uh, and there was, you know, there was a few anthropologists uh, throughout history that were going around and, and recording these uh, these uh, these music forms and these uh, that were, were going away. And that that really sort of struck me to to get in on that, go around the world and experience those uh, those songs and those uh, those stories. Uh, in music form. So you did this. This was something that you did major in, and that, you did practice. Yeah, that was my major. That was, That's was going to, um, and then and then I I turned. Yes. <laughs> I turned. I talked to I'm my. Cute. I was talking to a professor, and he said, "Your life is going to be begging for grants." Oh. And, and I said, "Oh." Well, that's cool. How about video um, games? <laughs> well, that's yeah. a lucrative job. <laughs> but actually, I parlayed a lot of that into uh, into helping local artists. Um, I had some friends that came from Japan and, and were helping them get some um, airplay and, and, and helping them create uh, portfolios for their music. So I was still a part of it. Uh, and then, you know, sort of realizing that there are new music forms that were happening and being a part of those was, uh, was absolutely uh, exciting. Maybe not as, as exciting as hearing a, a, a traditional... Uh, uh, you know, mountain wedding song, uh, song in the steppes of Russia. But uh, well, it seems uh, like that's a there's a parallel there between like you know f- fantasy and and how that create you know uh, is amalgam of so many different cultures and keeps you know the older ideas of where these cultures came from you know and bringing them to the front. Like I feel like there's there's a parallel there. And did you feel like your work as a or you know your 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 proto work as a, a as a music musicologist like kind of informs your your day to day at at Cryptic? Uh, yeah, actually, I mean, a, a lot of it was, um, I, I guess the, the simple answer is yes. Um, <laughs> okay, next question. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I think that history, uh, being exposed to very artistic people, and and being a part of that that, that you know that process and that thought, it all sort of it definitely helps me day to day work with very creative people, people that have such a, a love and a passion for uh, what they do and and sort of their stories of how they were uh, a part of uh, uh, part of the things that they love the most, D and D and like just like the folks that are working on Star Trek, very into the history of Star Trek and, and that, and that world. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it definitely, uh, uh, helps me every day. That's cool. Well, and you mentioned that you started, uh, uh, as an artist at Cryptic. Is that right? No, actually I didn't. I, I have a, I have the, was an art background. I was, it's sort of weird. You know, I, I was really into metal sculpture and I did a bunch of stuff when I was younger. Um, and, uh, actually I think I went, I wanted to go to college to be an animator. Um, but, uh, there was, a um, there's so much to offer and to do, uh, yeah. but no, but I started at Cryptic Studios as a, uh, in QA. I figured I'll start at the bottom and work mm. my way up. Um, and I guess that's exactly what I've done. I've been here for over 10 years. Wow. So wow. that's crazy. And so now you're executive producer, uh, and actually I've, yep. I've, I've heard that that track is actually not, uh, atypical and that, you know, people who start in QA often go into that producer role. Have you noticed that in the industry? Yeah, actually, there's a lot of people that, you know, for whatever reason, they, they start in QA. Maybe it's, it's uh, you know, just analyzing things uh, in post once they're done, finding, you know, uh, you know bits and bobs that uh, either there's, some, there's something up with or, or, or there's a bug or something and it's there's just recording. There's just but bobs it's, in these games. Mm-hmm. we got to get the bits out as well. <laughs> right. Stupid bobs. Um, <clears throat> definitely, um, you know, giving people feedback about tightening up graphics on level two and, and whatnot. Um, but the, uh, I think it is a common path for people that, that sort of can take, take a product and look at it and sort of see what's happening and listen to all of the, the goals and then, and then you know, put, wrap their minds around that and, and then give sort of a kind of a review uh, in the form of, uh, of you know, QA um, to how uh, you know, what they're looking at you know, meets all of those goals and expectations. Um, so I think, uh, I think the QA to the production path is, is, uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, but, uh, a, a lot of times QA, you know, I think it starts off as the ground floor for a lot of folks. I think we've, we've had designers that, and artists that have come through QA. Um, there's so much talent. I think, right. There's, uh, I think, you know, some, some fans of audio who want to get into audio, uh, um, engineering, mm-hmm. uh, in QA right now. And, and it's definitely a way to sort of get in, see what the industry is like. It feels really good. And then just sort of find that place where you can help. Uh, and just sort of, you know, make an impact. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks in the, in the QA group have a lot, have a lot of passion about, uh, you know, what they're into. Um, but that's not, that's not really different from any other group in, in, in development. But, um, yeah, yeah so- QA to production is, a, is a sta- not a standard path, but is a, a very often uh, path selected. Right, right. And uh, so for our listeners, Q, uh, QA stands for Quality Assurance. And, yeah. Uh, uh, they, those are the guys that uh, are, and girls who test the game and make sure they find all the all the things that aren't working and communicate that to the team. And you're right; it seems like it's the it's the, it's the communicators that end up uh, using those skills to then communicate, uh, you know, uh, strategy and, and like how are things going to work and, and change. And that's what the producer role is like. So, do you feel like that uh, as executive producers? That is that your day to day? And I'm just trying to give our listeners come kind of a little bit of a background of like what what does that mean? I think executive producer means something different for different you know, fields, you know, executive producers and movies are very different from executive producers and games. So what, what, can you talk a little bit about what your role is like now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
so I, I, um, I guess the really high level, it's, uh, let's see, um, the main the sort of uh, sort of drive, like build and drive the main vision and goals for the game. Um, to uh, to work with a bunch of talented people on on getting their ideas and their designs uh, figured out, so and support them uh, with my production staff uh, to get those things done uh, on a daily basis. Um, I guess that's sort of like if you went to Wikipedia, that would be what a you know a games executive <laughs> producer is, right? To hold the vision, to drive the deadlines on time, on budget, scrum. Right. Um, right. Uh, right. Or just say, you know, agile with a big A or something. Um, <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> right. It, I think it, it cryptic in a lot of, actually a lot of game companies um, or companies all over the place that have EPs, even on movies, I guess. Um, they're probably really, they probably wear a lot of hats. So on a daily basis, I, I wear a ton of hats. Like sometimes I'm in design meetings and I give some, you know, feedback about design. Um, sometimes it's just, um, uh, sometimes it's just the back end on the tech side, helping figure out what the, the tech schedule needs to be and what the updates are going to be. Uh, definitely come up with a long-term plan and vision for the game. What are the updates? You know, not just in a six-month view, but in a, in a you know in a twelve-month and beyond. Um, uh, daily, it's looking at the forums. I play the game every single day. I think that's the something that's very important. Mm, yeah, that's um, cool. for. Um, I think game producers uh, in, in general and, and my production staff and the, and the team is to play the game, know your game, uh, so that you can know uh, how designs uh, could affect your game before they go live. So on a daily basis, I'm playing the game. Somebody checks something in. We, have, we can look at it right away. I'm in there. I import my live characters. I have max level characters. I main a, a couple different characters, both on PC and Xbox. Um, I'm in meetings about design and going forward and what we're going to do, looking at uh, reading the forums every day, looking at player concerns, figuring out you know, what we can address there. It's kind of wearing all of those hats and a little bit of the, you know, the standard production role in the game development uh, space of, of filling in the holes and, and adding that support uh, where it's needed. And it's, and it's needed you know, all the time all over the place. So it's everywhere from future development to what's happening live to you know, marketing, a little bit of, uh, you know, actually a lot of PM work, um, you know, what's the market plan and strategy going forward, working with, uh, you know, a fantastic uh, marketing team. Um, it's, it runs the gambit, so it's, it's pretty busy, pretty busy every day. That's crazy, um, yeah. I, I love that you talk about uh, uh, playing games, too, because, you know, you always think when, when, when uh, uh, fans talk about, oh, I want to get a job in the gaming industry, they're like, I get to play games all day, and it's going to be so much fun. You know, people say that even about us at D&D, like, oh, so you just play D&D all day? And I'm like, well, yes. it's not <laughs> really <laughs> like that. Um, I mean, you have to have familiarity, and, you know, obviously it is the game that you love, so it's your passion, you're going to play it a lot, but... You know, I, I think it's great to hear uh, uh, someone at your level who's still like, hey, yeah, no, I still play the game. and, and, and That and does say a lot. Get enjoyment out of it. Because a lot of times when you are a little bit too behind the scenes, it kind of ruins things for you. Right, exactly. You know, like I, Little Caesars Pizza, can't eat it anymore. <laughs> really? Did you have a yeah. horrific experience? <laughs> I had a summer with... job there, and, you know, I just... What I... happens? <laughs> oh, it's fine. <laughs> Nothing bad happens. But when you just smell like peppers and onions for, like, six months of your life, you just can't go back there. Oh my gosh! So, Rob, do you feel like you smell like peppers and onions <laughs> in Neverwinter? It's a metaphor. Well, there's a spot, so we just lost. Show, I <laughs> yeah. That's actually. I think that's a. That's a. Uh, I think that's a. A, uh, a perfume I'd be happy to wear. <laughs> Say it now, but when you smell yeah. like it, your for significant that long. other will enjoy your presence. I ate Little Caesars all day, every day for six months. <laughs> 
So. Nice. So, all right, well, let's shift tracks a little bit and go back to uh, uh, strongholds and how we're going to build Little Caesar pizzerias in every strongholds in every winter. Nice. Uh, but yeah, no, this this uh, uh, PvP update seems really, really awesome. Uh, I, I mean, uh, I, I know you said you don't have uh, a huge extensive background in D&D, but one thing that I latched onto was the idea of uh, uh, the OD&D uh, experience of clearing out a hex in the wilderness and, and and you know overtaking an old stronghold and building it up and, and, and drawing followers to you. I mean that's that's part of uh, Gygax's original vision um, in Dungeons and Dragons, and I think that's cool that Neverwinter is going to be bringing some of that back. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's it's a really cool opportunity for us, and it it, it presents. I mean, on the uh, I guess on the. The, the fun side of it, um, there's a lot of really cool content and, and, and ways that we can expand uh, on just the, the, the core principle of Stronghold. And like I said, that, that user story um, of, or, or that journey of, of, you know, you and your guildmates or, you know, your, your adventuring party, um, in, in the case of, of Neverwinter, it would be your guildies, um, you know, going into this, this vast land just with a bunch of, you know, baddies and it's a wilderness and, seeing a bunch of ruins and building up, starting from your stronghold and then building up new, uh, you know, new buildings and structures and getting uh, benefits from those and growing and, and becoming uh, bigger and better. Um, and that's all just the PvE side. I mean, there's an expansive and, uh, and deep uh, PvP game there. And then at some point, if you feel good about it you, and you want to you see how your stronghold holds up, how you and your guild are against another guild, um, there's that option too. So it's definitely it's it's for our it's for our guild players. It's it's definitely something that's targeted um, at our our big big group collaborative uh, um, guilds folks who play together regularly um, and who want you know some some cool stuff to do together uh, in a bigger setting. I mean the the map is so big. It's the biggest in the game we've ever made. Um, we are thinking about how it how it grows and expands over time. Um, but there's so much to do there. And again, it starts where it has humble beginnings. It's just go there, find something kind of run down and, and, uh, overgrown and, and build it up from there. Um, so it's, uh, and then the whole PVP side is, is another sort of fantastic track and, and growth potential. Um, but we have a ton of like really, really hardcore and fantastic, uh, you know, fans of the story. Um, as you guys know, we have just amazing uh, authors in our foundry um, that already mm -hmm. tell fantastic stories that players can go uh, go play. Um, there are there are some uh, uh, some of our foundry authors are even recreating old modules completely in the foundry. It's just absolutely fantastic. Oh, that is um, wonderful. And then there's you know then we have these big groups of people. We have content that was for big groups of people. We had, we added the heroic encounters and then. We're thinking, well, what's you know, we can go bigger, and, and you know, who else, you know, who else are our players? And we got a ton of people that are in guilds, very active guilds that that play together regularly. So it was a no-brainer for us to get something that was uh, good for guilds, uh, and, and then keep growing it. Um, and Stronghold was, you know, it's classic to D and D. Um, it's in the lore; it makes sense, uh, and it has a really good story behind it. So That's I'm really actually cool. really, I'm really excited about the PvP. So I'm a huge PvP fan. I'm usually in, in either running uh, epic dungeons or running around Icewind Dale um, trying to find people uh, farming black ice. Um, <laughs> and I'm usually solo, and I usually get killed. Um, <laughs> but I main a great weapon fighter, which isn't, you know, isn't the most amazing for PvP. But um, 
I can't wait for just large-scale guild PvP stuff. It's going to be great. All opt-in. Don't, don't scare anybody. Um, <laughs> right, right. It's, it's content so it's, that's going to be there for people if they want it. So can, can you talk a little bit about the, the, the big map? Uh, so, you know, the way Neverwinter works now, it's, it's very, you know, uh, kind of instanced in a way where you go from place to place. Uh, but the way you're describing it sounds like it's going to be one large uh, overarching map. Are there going to be strongholds dotted throughout that large map? Actually, it's a, so each guild, um, each guild is going to have their own map. What I, what I mean by it's the largest map, it's the, the individual guild's map is larger than any zone we've ever made. Oh, wow. It has that much stuff and area and places to go. Um, and definitely uh, use it up for launch. Uh, and then also to, uh, you know, spaced for, uh, for updates and expansions. Uh, just for Stronghold, it's, you know, we're not going to... It's, it's a definitely a big, growing um, uh, feature for Neverwinter. That's super um, cool. So, no, it's not, it's not a bunch of guilds sitting on a map and, and, and then doing PvE and doing PvP. It's uh, you and your guildies going to a place. It's your place to go. It's, it's uh, working together on, on creating your, uh, not only your keep, but the surrounding areas. Think of it as your town and, and mm-hmm. your buildings and, and what you have there. Um, and, uh, and then the, the PvP is, is, is basically it's a, uh, a one-off of your map. Um, so no, it's not, it's not folks coming in and destroying your stuff and taking <laughs> it from you. It's all very nice. Although we do have some pretty hardcore, uh, um, arena PVPers. Uh-huh. Um, I don't, I don't think Neverwinter is that hardcore PVP game that, that has a, a you know, a hardcore, a, a guild that comes in and just wrecks some PVE guilds, uh, stuff. Right. It has um, to be opt-in. That is, right? that is, that's not, that's not the, that's not strongholds for us. Uh, it's opt-in. It's if you want to do it. And uh, you don't lose everything that you, 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 know, you put your time and effort into. So you mentioned guilds a, a bunch of times. Are there going to be uh, uh, you know, additional guild features uh, that are going to kind of support the, the strong you know, guild-centric strongholds? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's, the, I guess the, the easy answer and simple answer is yes, and, it's, and, and definitely we will. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I think that we can do for guilds. I'm really excited about a couple features um, that I won't name. Right, but, right. Uh, but absolutely, uh, some really cool stuff coming for guilds, uh, really cool stuff coming for, for uh, PvP players, not just in Stronghold, but even beyond that. Um, but even in Strongholds and further updates, uh, there's a lot of stuff to do there. Um, but one of the things I think that we can, you know, that, you know, a little, talking a little bit back to sort of what I do on a daily basis is, uh, you know, is looking at the forums, looking at the feedback, um, seeing what the game not only needs but also what the players want um there's a lot of space and, and room for growth with stronghold um some of the stuff we have really good ideas for um but we're really going to you know see what happens what the what the players really like about it what they want uh to see it, it do and where it goes uh, you know there's definitely you know a part of of the growth of stronghold is going to be uh, uh decided with the players and and, and how it grows uh, with them as well so um, some of the stuff, like I said, is going to be great, and, and just expansions add new stuff, new places, new cool things to do. Um, but uh, it's not just on us; it's uh, definitely something we want to do with the players. That's awesome. I think it's really smart uh, to uh, you know think of uh, a D and D MMO as like this growing, evolving thing, and to serve 
as many, you know, PvE players, people who really just respond to that and let them have the, the, the features and content that they want, while well as also having the, the PvP available for people who, who get a kick out of that and love going to Icewind Dale and, and ganking people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta have places where people can do that. You know, that's I think that's that, that's uh, a really interesting part of of MMOs, and and uh, you guys have done such a really great job of giving all those tools for players. You know, because I, I I think of MMOs kind of as like this this you know a microcosm of of society in a way. I know. Do you ever feel like that? That like you know you have to make everyone happy all the time. And you, so you know you're almost akin to President Obama, really, in my <laughs> mind. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of times uh, there are uh, gamers in general, I think we can all agree, are, are passionate uh, and very vocal. Yes. Um, and, and everybody has a lot of really cool ideas and we can't necessarily do them all. Um, I think early on in my career, I think when I was, a, when I was a, you know, a fledgling AP, I think I had some of those goals, right? Keep everybody happy all the time. Right. Uh, and I started having these nightmares about like, balloons constant like a room full of balloons constantly falling to the floor Ooh. and i was like running around trying to keep them up in the air but like there were thousands of balloons and i think i, I when i had that dream i was like i think i think i'm i'm going about this the wrong way um and it was basically it turned to, i turned the corner to realize that it's just is just work with the community um I guess, engage with the community. Um, I'm a huge fan of devs talking with, uh, with players um, as much as possible. Um, I used to be able to do it a ton on, the, on our PTS forums um, and just, just ask, like, you know, give me feedback and answer questions and, and listen to their feedback. And, um, you know, such passionate people have a ton of good ideas um, and they just want what's best for the game also. So I think you know, learning that it isn't about keeping everybody happy, but just working with them and talking to them. There's a lot of really cool people with a ton of great ideas um, that, that uh, play MMOs. It's definitely the play uh, Neverwinter. Um, my best experience was running the, uh, not running, I guess, being a part of the Foundry Alpha. Mm. It was amazing. It was, it was working with these, these fans and these creative people that, that absolutely helped us build and design out the, uh, the foundry tools. Um, there were definitely some things that we, we added in in the 11th hour that were, you know, that we talked a, a lot about in the forums uh, from, you know, with, the, with the, the people that were in the alpha tests for foundry before we launched. Um, we were going to launch with a 2D editor and I think that we, um, you know, we, we thought a lot about it and the, and the fans were really, you know, really excited and, and, and insistent upon a 3D editor. And so we, we, you know, did as much as we could. We got something then that we were proud of and happy with, uh, rolled it out to them, they played with it, and it, it, it just changed the, the way that you could make Foundry content. Uh, and that was all with Image. I was just, I was proud to be a part of that process with that group of all those enthusiasts and, uh, and to, to get something that they actually liked in the end because they were a part of it as well. Um, it's uh, probably the, the, the group in Neverwinter that's probably nearest and dearest to me is, is the, the folks that that uh, I worked with in the Foundry, and they're still making stuff today. That is super cool. Yeah, that is one of my favorite parts of, of the game, too, is just being able to, you know, do a daily quest and be like, hey, this is something that, that somebody made, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, obviously the other content in Neverwinter, somebody made, too, but, you know, there's that, <laughs> that different feeling of it being user-generated content that you're like, wow, this is, this is so engaging and interesting, um, you know, and it came from a person like me, like a fan. So, you know, I, I think that's one of my favorite parts of, of Neverwinter, too, and I'm, Super excited that you had that experience and working with them and making them feel 
uh, 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 like a part of, of, of the growing uh, community of Neverwinter. I think that's cool. Awesome. So cool. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm super excited for, for Strongholds to come out. I think there's a lot there too. Uh, and uh, I think everybody here uh, in the D&D office is uh, excited to see. It. I know Trevor, uh, Trevor Kidd is very excited. So he's been talking about he's it a sorry lot. He's sorry he couldn't be here. He's sorry he couldn't be here. But he's in Las Vegas. He's betting. Yeah, what's that about? I know, right? He's betting everything on black. That's <laughs> he's what we betting everything on the Strongholds. <laughs> he's, on a, so. he's on a rooftop somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> we have to go find him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Rob. Uh, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me. Cool. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, man. Thank you. As always, thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Look for more on Neverwinter, including the trailer for the Strongholds expansion at arcgames.com. You can download the Dungeons & Dragons podcast from the D&D website under the media section, or subscribe directly from iTunes.